Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. We are now into day 12 of our circuit break lockdown. Once again, we have the Director of Public Health joining us on Zoom and our Minister of Health and Social Care here in person. As I mentioned last week, the Council of Ministers met this morning to consider our progress so far in our efforts to flush the virus out of our community again. I would like to brief you on that. But before I do, I would like to hand over to the Minister and our Director of Public Health for our regular updates. These are particularly relevant today as together they are a critical part of the context the Council of Ministers considered. So let us go first to the Minister of Health and Social Care, who can update us on today's numbers. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken now stands at 25,780. The total tests concluded at 25,768, meaning that there's 12 people awaiting results. There have been four new identified cases, two of those returning travellers and two high-risk contacts, which were all in isolation, bringing our total cases to 432. Just before I move back to the Chief Minister, I just wanted to focus on the vaccination programme. And if I may, Chief Minister, go into some detail around many questions I know that people may have been asking themselves and hopefully be able to provide a bit more detailed understanding about the rollout. So the first question I think many people have been asking is, is the vaccination rollout too slow and could it not be done quicker? The answer to this is we can only vaccinate based on supply. Our supply is 0.13% of the UK supply based on a per head of population basis. This is the amount we have received to date. We must also keep enough vaccine to ensure we can deliver the second dose as vaccines can't be mixed and matched. The second dose must be the same as the first. The deliveries from the manufacturers of the vaccine is not an even amount each week. It will differ over the forthcoming months according to the manufacturers and their production alongside the UK delivery levels. So it is important we hold enough vaccine of the correct type to deliver people second doses of the correct vaccine as we cannot mix and match. So how are the orders spaced out? Can we not get enough, uh, get an, get a, enough vaccination, a vaccine to, to vaccinate all the population at once? Deliveries of the vaccine are from the UK stock purchased from the manufacturers. This is a brand new vaccine being purchased and produced from scratch. It will take time for the manufacturers to produce. For instance, Pfizer alone is looking at needing to produce 2 billion vaccines this year. So deliveries are spread out between now and September. As with any manufacturing process, production starts off at a lower level before building up. And that's exactly the same with receipts of vaccine stock. They will start off at low levels and then build up as the manufacturers ramp up production. I cannot emphasise enough that our limitation here on Ireland is not resource. We have more than enough resource for each stage of the vaccination programme. Our only limitation is supply. We can only vaccinate to the level of supply we have access to. So I know another question that has been going in many people's minds is, as a Crown dependency, can we not get vaccine other than through the UK? As would be expected, there is a worldwide demand for the vaccine. With Pfizer alone looking, as I've said, to try to produce 2 billion doses this year, a scale of production never seen before. As a Crown dependency, our route of supply is via the UK. 
We are a small jurisdiction with a population of 84 to 85,000, so have limited buying power, and the manufacturers would, I'm afraid, not prioritise us for vaccines. We have benefited from the buying power of the UK as a large nation. For instance, the UK has purchased 100 million doses of the Oxford vaccine alone and will, between now and September, have more than enough vaccine to cover the whole population of the island, something we would not have access to on our own, with larger countries around the world having already mass-purchased in advance most of the production to be carried out this year. Trying to act on our own, we would have access to nowhere near the level of vaccine we have via the UK and would likely not see any vaccine delivered until late this year at the earliest as the manufacturers seek to make the pre-orders of the large jurisdictions around the world. Another question I know has come up is when will the priority groups be completed? Based on current delivery schedules, all those in the priority groups will be vaccinated by the end of May. That is everyone over 50, in care homes and in the clinically vulnerable category. That equates in population terms to 42,000 people or 50% of our population. So when will the whole of the population be vaccinated? Based on current delivery schedules, and again, I must emphasize that it depends on timescales of the manufacturers producing the vaccine the UK has ordered. Everyone who wishes to have a vaccine will have been able to have one by the end of September. Another question I know that I've had quite a bit on, particularly since Friday, is I'm in the over 80s category and received my letter, but had my appointment booked for mid-February. Why is that a month away? The over 80s vaccinations have commenced and started last week. To put it into context, in the over 80s category, there are 4,397 people. So based on supply of the vaccine, it will take a number of weeks for that cohort to be vaccinated. This did come up at Friday's briefings as a question, and I must confess, and it does show that I am actually human, that I lost track of where we currently were in January, as all the days seem to be merging into one with me at the moment. So I thought we were earlier in January than we actually are. So it is correct that appointments will be four weeks in advance, as again, we can only work to the supply we hold. As the supplies we receive increase, so will the number of vaccinations we deliver each week. Our staffing and delivery of jabs into arms is based on the levels of vaccine we receive and increases as the level of supply increases over the coming months. So the next question, I suppose, that many people have been asking is, is the Isle of Man programme slower than other countries? Based on our current number of vaccinations carried out per 100 people, our vaccination programme is within the top 10% of vaccination rollouts in the world. It is correct we are currently behind the UK, but as the delivery schedule increases in February and March, we will over time equal the UK rollout on a population basis. Another thing I know people have seen is that in the UK, church halls, marquees, etc. are being used. So why aren't we doing that? We will be delivering the vaccine from hubs because it will work much more efficiently than having multiple sites and duplication. There is a large administrative and patient safety process behind this vaccine rollout and also logistical processes around transporting and delivering. It therefore makes sense and is much more efficient as a small island to operate from a few central hubs which will allow the processing of people more quickly and will not mean multiple duplications of administration and staffing. It also has to be remembered that when we see these hubs on TV being created by the UK, 
they are actually in many cases covering and catering for larger populations than our entire island. So this is something we've spoken about before, where will these hubs be? As the delivery level of vaccines increases, we will be bringing the hubs online. So the airport hub previously announced will begin operating on the 28th of January. As I announced on Friday, we will also be looking to convert the old ShopRite building in Chester Street into a vaccination hub. This is to replace the current setup we have in Newlands. The Newlands setup was created before lockdown and the need for social distancing requirements and the added measures we also need as a result. It therefore makes sense to create a larger space away from the hospital site, which will come online in February, in line with our increased deliveries of the vaccine. I can also confirm we are looking at creating a vaccination hub in the north of the island, also to come online in late February, as the vaccination programme increases in line with supply. I am limited in what I can say about this at the moment, but when we are in a position to advise further, we will. So another question we get quite a lot of, or I do as Minister for Health, is why in the island have we so far been vaccinating three days a week rather than seven days? The first important point to stress is the three days a week we have been doing does not mean less vaccine is being delivered. If we were doing seven days, it would still be the same amount of vaccine delivered based on supply, just spaced over seven days instead of three. The decision was taken to do three intensive days to begin with, so the clinical body could review the handling protocols and delivery procedures of the vaccine after each batch, and also, crucially, the safety procedures to check they are all working as expected. It has to be remembered this is a brand new vaccine and is actually the most logistically challenging vaccine ever created. There are strict safety protocols around security, transport, handling, storage, mixing, delivery, and even down to how the used vials are disposed of. To have the right to use the vaccines, we have to ensure we comply with all of these. So there needs to be a constant review of processes to ensure we are compliant. As an example, due to the reviews that have already been made, numerous changes to processes have resulted from the experience of actually delivering the vaccine. As a medical procedure, it is important we ensure the vaccine programme is patient safe at each and every stage. I hope people have found this helpful, but before handing back to the Chief Minister, there are two, there are two other topics I would like to very quickly touch on. The first is to say thank you to the island's blood donors and the teams that have allowed blood donation to continue despite the issues we have faced. Blood donation is a crucial part of our health service and I would like to say thank you to the team for all they have done to keep the service running at this difficult time and also those who are blood donors who have continued to come forward. I've also spoken to one of the families who's been in touch with me who has been affected by this dreadful virus, who sadly have been very upset by comments that have been, they've been viewing on social media. It is important that we as an island come together at this difficult time and I ask that people think about how comments come across to those who have been affected. They are victims of this virus. They did not want to become infected. They did nothing wrong to become infected. Sadly, when you are dealing with an invisible enemy such as this virus, even the most cautious of us runs the risk of infection. So please think before you post and consider the feelings of those suffering at this currently difficult time. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Now, let me move without further ado to the Director of Public Health for any additional information she may be able to share regarding the tests and, importantly, 
what it means for us. I know that Dr Ewart also has an update for us on results received from the tests that we sent to Liverpool. Dr Ewart. Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. Um, I'll start with the tests from Liverpool because we now have the results of the genomic sequencing that's been done on positive tests taken up to and including the 10th of January. One additional case of the UK new variant B117 has been identified. This was found from a routine testing in a returned traveller who was already self-isolating. There is no evidence of any onward transmission into the community. No cases of the South African or Brazil variants have been identified. One variant has been identified as being linked to a cluster that currently includes around 15 confirmed cases. That cluster is also related to travel. So in terms of community transmission on Ireland, and particularly the issue of sporadic cases for which we can find no links to clusters, and those sporadic cases are the ones that cause us to worry that we've got transmission going on within the community on Ireland. We haven't had such a case since last Tuesday, so six days, which is reason to be cautiously optimistic, but not, of course, to relax yet, because the incubation period, as we know, is 14 days. And in fact, the technical definition of a closed outbreak or closed transmission is 28 days without a case. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr Ewart. Now, Dr Ewart and other colleagues joined the Council of Ministers this morning to review our current situation. We wanted to understand the picture that was emerging and we wanted to understand what might be appropriate and possible to do regarding our measures. As I've said before, we have to strike a critical balance. We need to get our exit from measures right, not rushed. We need to balance remaining risk against our wish to, for a return to normality. So at our review this morning, we were encouraged to see that we have now seen our sixth day with no evidence of community transmission. Yes, there are still cases, but for almost a week now, these have been people who were already in self-isolation because either they have travelled or because they have been identified through contact tracing as a close contact and therefore have been asked to self-isolate. There is, of course, still some way to go, but it does appear that what you have been doing is having an impact. Dr Ewart and others have told us that we will not know with certainty if we have succeeded and that the virus is no longer on our island until we see 28 days with no community transmission, two cycles of 14 days. But what we also heard is that the longer we go without unexplained cases, the more that risk reduces. We have therefore agreed that on Thursday, when we might be beyond seven days, we will consider the possibility of making a modest set of changes to our measures. We do not want to rush and risk ruining what you have achieved, but we do want to take a step forward if the circumstances allow. We will be looking at changes around outside spaces. Here are the approach we took as we eased out of our measures last spring. The scientific advice is that the risk of transmission outdoors is significantly lower than indoors, especially if social distancing, face coverings and good hygiene are also in place. We still need to finalise details of what might be included, but this may be to allow outdoor trades to return to work, especially those who work alone. 
we may also be able to make changes to allow other people as long as this is outdoors. You will remember deck chairing. It may be something like that. I cannot say much more than this right now. We have a good idea where we want to go, but we want to ensure that this is tested with our clini clinical and public health teams and, have that that, and that the time is right. But I do have to underline that even if we were able to announce these changes later this week, social distancing and face coverings will remain with us and will continue to be important. I will update you on this as soon as possible. I would now like to move on to our vaccination programme. Um, today was an important milestone in our vaccination programme as we started the deployment of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine into our care homes. You may have seen the wonderful pictures of Sally Murray, who, along with 32 other residents at Southlands in Port Erin, got her first jab today. Thank you to those 33 and all the team at Southlands for their assistance. It is the beginning of a new phase. You will all remember that the Oxford vaccine is far easier to handle than the Pfizer vaccine. While for the moment we have to limit our use of the Pfizer vaccine to those who are at the hospital or who can get there easily, now that we have the green light to use the Oxford vaccine, it means that the vaccine can travel to our community wherever they are on the island. This is an important step. Until now we have had to bring people to the vaccine. Now we can take, people, now we can take the vaccine to the people. I know the Minister was keen to share some more details with you and he's given a very comprehensive um, discussion on that. Um, I wanted to make some points of my own that I hope address some of the questions that are circulating. Firstly, people have been asking why we are so far behind the United Kingdom. It is true that there is a short lag between us, but we always knew that there would be. There are some technical and legal reasons why the UK has been able to proceed at such pace while we have had to be a little more cautious. And of course, they are in a different situation regarding COVID in their communities. The UK Health Secretary this weekend said that the UK has now vaccinated more people than have test that have tested positive for COVID-19. So this is of course a positive milestone for them. But to put this in context, we did this in the first two days of our own vaccination programme. Our situations are different. Second, it is really important to state that we can only vaccinate as fast as the vaccine, the vaccine arrives. And I can confirm, as the Minister has already done at this briefing, that we are getting the same as if we were a, fair, a region of the UK, our fair share, as some people have called it. The increase in pace that the UK have signalled to take place over the coming weeks as more Oxford vaccine becomes available should be felt here too. The third concern that people have expressed to me has been that they didn't know when they can expect to get their vaccinations. We did publish our priority group some time ago and these are on our website. What they do not have now, and I know, is firm dates by which each group will be completed and as I say, the Minister has already taken us through this in detail. It would be easy for me to stand here today and overpromise to give you dates and deadlines that we may or may not meet, but I want to give you information that is based on fact and reality. I can tell you that we do have the stocks on Ireland to complete a first jab for everyone in our residential care homes by the end of this week. And we hope to have given a first jab to our top two priority groups, 
residential and nursing care homes, frontline health and social care staff and over 80s by the end of February. Now I'm sure there will be plenty of questions, so let's go to questions from the media. And first up we have Leanne Cook from 3FM. Good afternoon Leanne, faster my. Good afternoon Chief Minister. My first question is for the Health Minister please. Um, just a bit of clarification, we had a question from a member of the public regarding visits for care homes. They've been suspended for non-essential visitors for the rest of the lockdown. Just looking for clarification to what exactly is an essential and a non-essential visitor. So an essential visit would be end of life. Um, that would what we would class as an essential visit um, where the person is end of life. The care homes... Um, need at the moment unfortunately to have restricted visiting we can't afford for there to be any risk of an outbreak in the care home so i know it's upsetting for people but we have asked for the purposes of this lockdown that they do bear with us and we do need to have these visitor restrictions in place okay thank you and my second question do you have an exact figure of what bed capacity nobles has to deal with any influx of covid patients so in terms of Noble's capacity, um, the capacity will change. That's why it's very hard to put a set figure on because it would depend what type of outbreak we saw. If we saw a widespread outbreak, we can reconfigure the hospital to bring back online COVID wards. So uh, at the moment, we have the side rooms which are used for any patients that are required in COVID. Um, so they are limited in number, but the capacity, like I say, can be stepped up back to where we were in the previous outbreak, if required, where we can actually have whole dedicated wards for COVID patients. Equally with um, intensive care beds, we currently have the capacity, the, the normal capacity of intensive care beds, which I think is about eight beds. But again, if we needed to revert, as we did previously, we could convert the capacity back to the 16 we stepped up to. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Leanne. Now we move on to Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Faster my. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. Um, you said you've been advised that we'll now not know that the virus has been fully eradicated from the island until 28 days with no community transmission. So with that, are you able to confirm that the island will remain in some form of lockdown with social distancing until these 28 days have been completed? Well, I think if we're going to wait 28 days, Joss, it will be minor um, restrictions. But let's wait and see what the advice is in, in, the, in the future on this. As I say, we hope to already start announcing an easing of restrictions in a few days' time if we carry on the trajectory of no community cases. But it will be on the advice of our Director of Public Health and our, and our medical team. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. So I can't give you a cast iron guarantee. Obviously, this is our second time around. We've said it's a short um, circuit break. And if the figures and everyone is reassured that we are in a good place, then I sincerely hope we don't have to wait the full 28 days. But presumably we'll now see the circuit break lockdown extended beyond the 28th of January. Is that right? In, in, in a form, I, I should imagine. But as I say, we're hopeful that before we hit 28 days that we will have allowed some elements of society and work force to be able to go back to their normal workplace. So it, it will be an easing off. It won't suddenly be on the 28th of January we, we open up everything. We'll, we'll do it gradually like we did the last time and the, the signs are encouraging so far. But let's wait and see and um, obviously near the time I can give you further updates. 
Okay, thank you. And my second question, you say that you may allow outdoor trades to return to work given the current numbers and may allow people to meet outdoors. What are you looking specifically between now and Thursday that will specifically confirm that this change may happen? I suppose it's no more community cases, unexplained cases in the community. So we can expect that if there is no community transmission between now and then that these changes will happen? Well, obviously... That I caveat that with, again, the advice of our Director of Public Health and our medics and, uh, you know, vote in favour and cancel of ministers, but, you know, that is looking likely at this moment in time. Thank you. Thanks very much, Josh. Now we move on to Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question relates to the uh, outbreak, the cluster at the weekend at uh, King Williams College. Do you think that the had the location and nature of the cluster been identified at the outset, that a lot of speculation and public anxiety could have been avoided? Right. I don't know. Um, David or Dr. Hewitt, would you like to take this one? Um, I'll bring the Director of Public Health in, if I may, since it's contact tracing. Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, the issue with this cluster was that it was contained from the very start because it was a finite group who'd come in from international travel and were already self-isolating at the time that the first case was identified as part of the routine travel testing. So to that extent, um, they were no different to any other household that consists of returning travellers. They were just a little bit larger, but in terms of risk for the rest of the population, there wasn't any, any more than there is with the other traveller households. Yeah, but the fact that they were contained in one area might have, um, if it was explained, it might have made people a little less worried and uh, cut down on the chatter on on social media. Possibly. Is that ever possible? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, secondly, um, possibly for the health minister, this one, if I may, we know that the pandemic will continue to cause lengthening waiting lists for treatments to many other acute conditions. Are you working on a strategy to enable you to catch up as soon as the pandemic is under control? Yeah, thank you, Simon. That's a very good and timely question. I touched on this at the on the Manning line at lunchtime, actually, um, when I was on the show. Um, as Minister for Health, obviously, at the moment, we've had to suspend elective surgery. And I'm very conscious of the fact that that is meaning people have to wait longer because we had the same thing during the outbreak last year. We are keen to try and work with our third party providers to try and bring in additional resource to help bring the waiting list down. The biggest challenge we face is of course, the situation the UK is in, where our third party providers are, they themselves have their own challenges, and quite rightly, their priority is themselves. So we are limited in the additional resource we can pull in, but we will certainly, as a department where we can, be looking at waiting list initiatives to try and bring those lists down. Because as I've said publicly before, I am deeply concerned by the length of some of those lists, and we do need to get them down. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for that, Simon. I think it's worth pointing out that the health services in the UK and, and further afield, all of Europe, are virtually at breaking point themselves. And to expect us to be able to get a surplus of, of um, spare staff to come over to help the island is not a, a reality in the short term. But obviously, um, I know David and the team will do their utmost to work on um, reducing our, our waiting lists. And that's something I know the team are keen to do. Right, thank you very much, Simon. Now we move on to Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Tim. Fast am I. 
That's to my 47 cases or so I, I make it that we've had in this uh, since the new year. And a lot of people, and we're talking of loosening restrictions, a lot of people still are concerned about the borders. So just to put in context that, uh, how many people this month have travelled? Um, people going away for treatment to hospital, people moving here, key workers and people returning from travel. OK, well, we have seen a significant reduction, Tim, in, in numbers this month. So um, in, the, in, the, in this month so far, I can give you the figures. We've had 32 compassionate um, cases of travel, um, 38 contractual cases. Residents, 670 cases have travelled. I'll caveat that, that of that 670 resident cases, we have about 50, just over 50 a week, are patient transfer so if you work out um, that, that reduces the actual residents um, travelling. And key workers, 83. So the, as I say, the figures are um, substantially down from where they were in, in the month of December. But still, you, you, you have to ask, um, you know, please only make a travel off-island if your journey is absolutely necessary. I know I was speaking to my good friend and colleague, the Chief Minister of Guernsey today, and that's exactly the message that he is giving to all his residents. Please do not leave the island unless it is absolutely essential. And just uh, with uh, that, following on from that, uh, we've had a couple of concerned crew members from the Isle of Man Steam Packet Company. I'm just wondering uh, how much public health is involved in this. I know the government uh, is the owner, but it's an arm's length management structure. That is worried about Manx crews mixing with UK crews on the Ben McCree, and the Manx crews are then going back to their family. Is it, I mean, if that happened and there was a case there, it, it's our lifeline. Yeah, it's a good point to make, Tim. I, I haven't had any complaints or concerns addressed over that, so I will take that um, to, oh, well, obviously I'll mention it to the Doctor of um, Public Health, Dr. Dr. Hewitt, who I'm sure it's, it will um, look into it and, and give advice, but it's not something I've had com um, as a concern raised with me, but it could well be a concern. It needs looking into, and we, and we will do, and get back to you. I don't know, David or Henrietta, Dr. Hewitt, if you'd like to um, expand on that. Um, before I bring Henrietta in, just to say um, that I have had a couple of issues raised with me by members of the crew, and it has been passed on to public health to look at. I'm not sure what the outcome of that has been, but I'll defer to the Director of Public Health. Thank you. Yes, I mean, uh, since the start of the, the issue, we have been regularly reviewing um, arrangements for various groups of employees. Steam Packet would be one, um, flight crew would be another, in order to risk assess and then try and put in place mitigations that balance the needs of the service that they work for with public safety and safety for the individuals. And we are currently re-reviewing the steam packet um, arrangements. Okay, Tim, and um, we'll—I don't want to discuss individual companies' details, but if we can, we'll give you an, an update on that. Right. Thank you. Next, next we have is Paul Moulton from Alaman Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. Well, with the news of this outbreak at King Williams College, I believe, what, 26 overseas students were allowed to come back to the Isle of Man and form this bubble. Was this done under any litigation, uh, you know, laws, or was this just a, a, a waiver through? 
and people obviously are very concerned that this could happen, that 26 people from different parts of the, the globe have all come back and been put in this bubble. Well, these are pupils who've been residents of the Alaman on the whole for a number of years now. Um, it's that they're part of the International Baccalaureate Programme, and um, they, they've needed to be at King Williams College, but I think King Williams College have been very responsible. They've automatically isolated them the minute they came back, and that has ensured that we haven't seen any cases um, pass from those students in their own bubble into the rest of the island community. I, I don't know if David or Dr Ewart would like to expand on that, please. Yeah, I can say, um, echo what the Chief Minister has said, they are residents on the island by virtue of their studying here. Um, they have Most of them have for a number of years, therefore they have the rights of entry. Um, and they have been, uh, the college I think has been exceptionally sensible um, and in, a, in the way that they've dealt with this and they've bubbled all those students together. And it shows the fact this is contained that they have done an excellent job in being able to deal with it. And I'll pass to the Director of Public Health. Yes, there's not really much to add to that. Um, as I said in the earlier response to the earlier question, this has been contained from the start, ever before we got the first positive test result back. So there has been no wide risk to the wider community. But it's been called an exemption all the way through. It's always been called an exemption. Surely it's just they're allowed to come in then, aren't they? It's an exemption under the, under the fact that they are educational students, is my understanding, Paul. So either they have domicile or they don't have domicile, not an exemption, no exemption required. My, my understanding is they're educational students, so therefore under the rules they are allowed to enter the island because by virtue of the fact that when they are students they are resident on Ireland. So they're domiciled here and that's okay, is that? Sorry, just make this clear, I'm, I'm lost. I've explained, I've explained my understanding. My understanding is because they are educational students that are resident on the island when they are studying, they are therefore allowed entry to okay. the island. And, and secondly, genomics now, we, we're running eight days behind. So is that now what we're to expect as this will be the lag time from now on? Now the, we can't uh, look at Christmas and New Year breaks as any excuse for having this data. Will we be getting information any faster than that? Or is that what you expect now to run at? about eight, eight days delay? Dr Ewart, would you like to comment on that, please? The turnaround time is five days rather than eight days. Um, and in addition, I think there is some work ongoing to actually speed up the automatic transfer of results between the labs, which will speed it up a little bit more. But as I've said many times now, actually, this is not information that informs the immediate response to cases or clusters. It doesn't help us contain them. It is just extremely useful for understanding patterns of spread. And that's not an urgent need. David, would you like to give a bit more information? To yes, I certainly can. Um, the Government Technology Service has been working um, with the Genomics Centre in the UK um, to enable us to access, um, to have internet ac um, IT access, I should say, to their systems. So it will speed things up. And if work progresses as it is, we may well be able to access da um, data within 24 hours. Yeah. But as Dr Ewart has said, it's, it's, we, we, it's not information that we need within 24 hours because it doesn't factor in the way that Dr Ewart advises us and how we deal with this, but it's obviously very good information to have. Right, thank you very much, Paul. We now move on to Helen McKenna of Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Firstly, this question is probably for uh, the Health Minister. As far as I'm aware, in the UK, if um, a couple are expecting a baby, the father can 
be with the mother for the for the whole of the labour. But on the island, this is this isn't possible. Um, my understanding is that only at four centimeters of di dilation, uh, this is allowed. So um, I'm just asking what is being done to ensure there's supports for parents uh, expecting babies during lockdown as this could affect their mental health? Yeah, I mean, we, we fully accept and I certainly accept as minister, I mean, it's a stressful time uh, for, uh, as it is enough for women who are about to give birth without having extra pressure put on top of them. The clinical advice, and that's what we work on, is these measures are required to ensure that within Noble's infection control protocols and limit any potential spread of the virus if it is out in the community within the Noble's environment. So we work purely off the medical and clinical advice, and the medical and clinical advice at this moment is in order to protect the Noble's site. That is what's required. Um, we do have to remember as well on the island we are in the situation where this is our one and only hospital. If we did have an outbreak within the hospital environment, that is much different to having an outbreak in a hospital environment in the UK where there may be other hospitals to be able to transfer people between or two. We don't have that. So unfortunately, with some of the restrictions we've had to put around the hospital, they will seem to be tighter than UK hospitals because we haven't got the alternatives they have. But I do appreciate how much stress um, there is for women about to give birth. I've spoken to many of them who've been in touch with me over the last few days. And as soon as we can, and it will be as soon as we can, we will change those procedures. Um, but it will have to be based on clinical and medical advice. Okay, thank you. And my second question is for Dr. Hewitt. Um, you mentioned that the last community transmission case was Tuesday. However, I might just be mishearing things. There's a lot of information, obviously, over the last few weeks. I thought it was Monday. Can you just clarify what exact date the last community transmission was? The last community transmission, by which we mean a case that doesn't have any link to a transmission chain, so a sporadic one that's just popped up with no explanation, that was Tuesday the 12th. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Helen. Now we move on to Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast to mind. Good afternoon. Um, some very, very encouraging headlines came out of the UK press this weekend. Uh, yesterday, the NHS boss in England said 140 people per minute were receiving the vaccination. And indeed, figures from Scotland on Saturday suggested that it could be as soon as mid-July before everybody there is offered a jab. Now, I know 0.13% of our stock taking from the UK is guaranteed. Are there any guarantees as to the, the rate of pace which will receive these trays? Right, I'll let David take that. But if I could just caveat before he comes in, there's always a skillful play of words with some of these press comments, not by you, Alex, but by in, in the UK where they say offered um, offered does not mean that you're getting a jab. It just means you will be offered a date. And I think we have to be careful with, with, with that when we um, take on board the um, comments made in the United Kingdom. But with that, I'll hand over to David. Yeah, I, that's to, exactly to echo what the Chief Minister has said. So, for instance, I referred to in my remarks about us having the entire over 50s population vaccinated by the end of May. What the UK has pledged to do is for them to have been offered a vaccination. Now, that's very, very different. And it's the same with the cohort of the whole population. It will be offered because they'll be in phase two. It doesn't mean the vaccine will be delivered because the UK is getting their orders up to September as well. So they can't vaccinate quicker than demand. 
hand. The UK has um, started quite a high rollout, but as we, again, like us, they will be limited by supply. I know there has been instances in the UK which hit the media, I think, the other day um, of reports of GP surgeries being asked to slow down in terms of the vaccination being delivered because it wasn't going to be able to keep up they weren't going to be able to keep up that pace because of delivery. We've also had the announcement on Friday from Pfizer that the UK delivery of Pfizer vaccines may well drop 18% because of the work they've got to do on the Belgian plant. That will also have, of course, a knock-on effect with us. But it's important to, to focus on the fact when we talk about vaccine and whenever you hear me talk about vaccine, that's actual physical jabs in arms, the dates we're talking about. We're not referring to people getting a letter offering them the vaccine we are talking about having actually vaccinated people and that's a very very important difference thank you very much and as a follow-up question um what point into the vaccination rollout can we realistically expect to see changes in the one big thing which hasn't really changed since last march the border policy well um I'll let David go into that, but it really will be uh, once we're confident that we've got the vaccinations, that we've delivered a certain percentage of our population, obviously the most important categories are, are, are our high risk, then we will be able to say, right, at a certain time, we'll be able to revisit our border strategies. And we've already asked our teams, our medical director and our public health director to start strategizing when they think the advice will be that we can maybe move to allowing families, say, to come in to visit on the island based on what is considered to be a safe enough percentage of the population vaccinated. I don't know, David, if you want to expand on yeah, that. Yeah, so we plan to have the over 50s and the those the most clinically vulnerable, which is obviously the groups most affected by the virus done by the end of May. I would say once those groups are done, that creates the first review point. Now, I'm not going to try and preempt what decisions will be made off the back of that, if any decisions to change will be made off the back of that, because I think it still depends upon infection rates elsewhere and whether the UK has got their outbreak under control, because as we know, with the vaccination, it only protects the person. Um, in the UK, if people came in, they could still infect other members of the population that still could become seriously ill. So our review point, I would say, would be after the over 50s are done. That's the first major review point. And then we would look at what potential impact any outbreak on the island would have against our hospital capacity and everything else, as we always do. But I would say that's the big review point. Yeah, I'd just like to caveat that, Alex. Obviously, if the UK see a significant reduction in the number of in infections at their population, then it may well be much earlier that we review the situation. So it's, there's no tablets of stone here. If the UK um, see a significant improvement, then we could consider much earlier than that altering our own policy. But thank you, thank very, you very much, much, Alex. OK, and last but not least, we have Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. I wonder if we could go back to your speech quickly. You said about um, face coverings will remain with us and will continue to be important. If we get to a point where social distancing is removed and we can go back to as we were, what seems like a month ago, but I think it was about 12, 13 days ago, will we see face covering still be advised beyond that period? Um, I think I'll ask the Director of Public Health to advise on that. My initial reaction would be no once we've gone through the, the full 28 days and we're confident it's not in the community. But um, I'd probably better defer that answer to the Director of Public Health. 
Thank you. Uh, I actually agree with the answer you've just given. Uh, if there is uh, no local transmission and we are as assured of that as we possibly can be, then there is no reason for us as the government or myself as Director of Public Health to recommend the continuance of using face coverings. But as was always the case, it's down to individual decision. And if certain individuals feel they would feel more confident if they continue to use a face covering, then they can continue to do so. Thank you. Okay. And Sam? And secondly, um, when can we expect the schools to go back if we continue on this positive trend? Right. Again, that will be on the advice of our, our medics. I don't know, Dr. Hewitt, if you would be able to give um, Sam an update? Yes. I mean, getting schools back um, in action is one of the things that one always wants to do as a priority. And so that is certainly one of the early things for review. And that will need to look at what levels are looking like. It will need to look at what schools can do to mitigate risk through social distancing, one-way systems, use of face coverings in school and so on. But we're already having discussions with our colleagues in the Department of Education to, to think about how that might play out. Okay, thanks very much, Sam, and thank you all for your questions. So a day of um, some positive news with the deployment of the Oxford vaccine into our community. And also positive that for the moment at least, the measures we have taken seem to have identified and isolated the virus. It is early days and we must not be complacent, but it is right for us to start looking ahead. We may reschedule the next briefing to Thursday so that I can update you in our review. In any case, we will let you know. As always, if there is a reason to hold one sooner, then of course we will. Thank you for doing what you have done. Thank you for staying at home. Thank you for wearing a face covering as much as you are. And thank you to everyone who is self-isolating. You are making a difference. And if you have any COVID symptoms, then call 111 as soon as possible. As always, if you need information, please visit gov.im forward slash COVID-19 or call the community support line on 686 262 or email COVID-19 community support at gov.im. I will leave these things there for you today. Please remember the basics. Stay at home. Before you go out, ask yourself, is it essential? If you do go out, wear a face covering if you can. If you have any symptoms, then stay at home and call 111 as soon as you can. Make the right decisions to keep you, your family and your island safe and to protect our vaccination programme. And finally, I would like to personally thank all our track and trace team who I know have been working long hours in doing all the tests, the swabbing, the tracing of all the high-risk contacts of people who have unfortunately contacted, contracted COVID-19. They really have done a sterling job for the people of the Isle of Man. So thank you very much. Bye-bye.